when I was a little girl, my mother would, like I would see these girls standing on the corners late at night when we would come back from basketball practice and I would ask her like, why are they standing on the corners? And my mom would say like they just, you know, they can't get a ride home or that they're waiting on transportation. And so I had no idea that girls were actually being, you know, trafficked. Or I knew about, honestly, I knew about prostitution. I just didn't understand it. I thought that there was a huge difference versus prostitution and trafficking. Um, what did you think the difference was the Prostitution is for girls like us, like girls like me. Like kids in the city, we're prostitutes. Kids that are trafficked are the ones that come from overseas. Like that's trafficking. We feel like ours is by choice and theirs is by force. That's how I felt being young. Welcome back to the Trafficking Free America podcast. This podcast is about educating the public about modern day human trafficking, how it occurs, how victims are groomed, how trafficking is hidden behind the reality of prostitution. We educate so that we can do a better job at prevention. We also use this podcast to discuss human trafficking and the work being done to prevent it, how others are fighting this, how our country is not fighting this, and collaborating to find strategies to make North America a trafficking-free zone. In today's episode, we continue with Ori's story. I want to warn you, this episode is designated for mature audiences. We have censored some of the language, but the subject is very strong. I would not recommend listening to this with children in the room or around you, but I would listen to this if you are a parent. I would encourage you to listen to this, not to be entertained, but for you to better understand this issue. Naturally, I want to share a trigger warning for the following content. If you might not be able to listen to this episode, we do share some educational tips in the episode's description. In our last episode, we met Ori. She shared with us the life she had growing up, how she was a victim of sexual abuse, sexual violence, and heavy bullying. Let's get into the episode. To catch us up, Ori just shared with us that she ran away from home. She escaped to a friend's house after learning that her mother was not taking quicker action to remove a man from her home that had previously molested Ori. This eventually led her to a house that was owned by and run by a pimp, a trafficker. So we first were getting dressed at her house, and I used to have these ponytails in my hair that literally would have ballies, like these barrettes and stuff. And so she was like, take those out of your hair. And so she like took them out. She brushed my hair back into a ponytail, you know, to make me look older, put on mascara, change my clothes, but I still have my underwear and stuff on. And so I remember like just the whole process of like trying to make me less kiddish. And so when we went to go hang out with these guys, the guy ended up taking us to this dope spot. And in the dope spot basically was this male and this woman, and he was like, oh, we'll be right back, we'll be right back. Like, her and a guy would be right back. They never came back for me. There was this guy, and he was sitting on the couch. It just was a bad place. Like, I could still remember the room physically, this small little apartment in the back of these buildings. 
And now I know the aroma that was in the house was, you know, crack. Like, it was dope. And so there was a woman in the kitchen, and she was obviously, you know, somebody on drugs. And at the, at the table, you know, he had, like, a gun on the table. He had weed on the table. He had other drugs. So I sat there, and I was talking to him. And, like, within, like, 30 seconds, I told this man my whole life story, you know. He was like, why are you out so late? Like, where your mama and him at? Like, why are you hanging out with him? You young. And I just told him everything. Told him how I finally was adopted. Told him how I was sexually abused, all this stuff. And it's just, ugh. Like, he just, like, it just makes me really angry because there's still men out there like that that are predators. Like, just predator. Like, just, like, he didn't have to come looking for me like most traffickers go and find girls to recruit girls. Like, I fell right on his doorstep, and it's just, like, thinking about how the way he talked to me that day, like, how he was trying to act so sweet and that he would be, like, a father figure and so nurturing and just, like, it really makes me angry because it's still men like that, you know, that sell you a dream and ain't going to never happen, honestly. And so I sat on that couch and he like, you ain't gotta never go back there. You know, you'll be safe here. I got straps, I got guns, all this stuff. And so then he like, I'm gonna go to the um, store real quick. I'll be back. And so I had to use the restroom. So I walked to the back of this, literally this one bedroom apartment that was so small. And in this room, there was this beautiful woman. And so when I say that, it's like, kids nowadays get drawn to that. It's the same thing on the Instagram. It's the same thing on social media. Looking at girls that are pretty, that are beautiful, that have all the stuff you don't have or that you desire. And so when I went in this back of the room, she had this big closet stuff with all these clothes, a massive TV they had in the room, big old stereo bars, like stereo bars for sounds. She was sitting on this bed. She had long curly hair. And she was like, you know, biracial. And like, she had her head down though. Like she was like, sitting crisscross and like had her head down so I did think that was weird a little bit but I spoke to her when I walked came in I was like hi and she didn't speak to me so I'm like all right you ain't gotta say nothing to me little did I know she was just following the rules of her daddy which we call what pimps what we call pimps we don't call them a pimp like oh that's my pimp we call them folks you know or daddy or you know other names or something like that and so she didn't say nothing I went into the bathroom and then when I came out you know, I was in the bathroom and stuff. And so when I came back, JB was there. And when he came back, he had this little plastic black bag tied up. And I guess he had like clothes in it. Like he had some plaid shorts that were like striped, all these different colors. I'll never forget like brown, green, and white. And there was these black bamboo sandals with the thong sandals and a thong in there. And he was like, you know, you should clean up and stuff. Cause I know that you probably been in your clothes all day. I had never had a father in my life. You know, my mom ran my bath and would bathe me, but I also took a lot of baths alone, like, you know, with her not being in the room. or. And so I remember being in the tub and I was really insecure about my body. I was going through puberty. So I remember like hiding my body. Like that's the one detailed memory I remember. I was in this tub hiding my body in this dope spot. And he walked up, he came in and he like picked up the towel and started bathing me. He was like, it's okay, like, you don't have to be afraid, like, of your body. Your body is beautiful. Your body is what 
you know, people desired this body, like men desired this body, this stuff. And it was just the way he was talking to me. And I get so angry because I get angry with 11-year-old Ori. Like, how the f did you not know that this man was a weirdo? Like, it makes me angry. It makes me really angry. Like, I had so much sexual trauma already happening to me. This 30-something-year-old 30 man was bathing me, and I didn't see nothing wrong with it because it was normal already. Men touching me, men raping me, men making me do things to them were normal already by the time I was 11 years old. So sex was normal at 11 years old, when you really think about that. And how I identified sex was, I identified sex with love, like you have sex with someone in order to make them love you. Like that's how I identified it as a young age, which has now been a problem as an adult. When I've, I've done things in my past life, because I felt like an object. I didn't have sex because it was the right thing, because I was married and things like that, right? Because I really wanted to. I did it out of obligation because it was a job. And so when I got the tub, I had my clothes on, and now she was ready to talk to me. She is the woman Ori encountered when she went into the bathroom, the woman who ignored her. I had no idea this was my grooming process, that you know, it showed that he was gonna be protective over me and he'll stand up for me and he made her talk to me and all this stuff, right? That's the grooming process for kids. How you groom somebody into trusting you even in an instant like that. You know, and so when she was talking to me, she was like, I didn't mean to be in your business, but when you were talking to JB, like I, you know, I, like I've been through so much in my life too. Like my stepfather raped me my whole childhood. That's how I ran away to California. I came out here girl when I was 15, like, you know, and so, what happened in that moment? Connection. There was somebody like me. I never heard another person say that they had been sexually abused or that somebody took advantage of me. So that was an instant connection. You know, she had everything I wanted, so maybe I can be like her, whatever that was. And so she described her job, right? Like, oh, I'm getting ready. She started getting dressed, and she was dressed in all these nice clothes, and it was a little provocative. And so, you know, that kind of was weird for me. But I was like, where are you going? She was like, oh, I'm going to work. And I'm like, work? Well, where do you work at? You know, like, I really didn't know about strip clubs neither. I didn't know about that kind of stuff when I was a kid. So she was like, oh, well, like, I'm an escort. And I'm like, an escort? What's that? And she was like, well, I just assist men on dates. Like, I go, I show them a good time. I just have conversation. I talk with them, you know, make them feel good. And they pay me. And I'm like, pay you? And she was like, yeah, like, I'd rather get paid for it than do it for free. And so click, something clicks in my head, right? because the first time somebody ever sexually abused me is five years old. The first time somebody ever sexually assaults me is nine years old. I might as well make money for it. Like, right, the, the wheels start spinning a little bit. Oh, it's not harmful. Sometimes you don't even have to do nothing with them. You just talk to them, make them feel good. Sometimes just give them, blow, you know, you just, she didn't go into details, but it was very specific of like, girl, I just give, make them have a good time. And so then I'm like, but what do you mean by good time? And so when she was like, well, sometimes, you know, the conversation will go to dinner or sometimes, you know, it's a very fast and quick. I'll get in the car, talk to them, you know, make them feel good. You know, I might give them a hand job. That's nothing, girl. I can make $100 with a hand job. $100, you 11. And I was like, a hand job? You mean like, yes, like jacking them off? Yeah. And literally, I remember saying, I'm, I'm out. that's hoeing. Like, that's prostitution. Like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. And she was like. Well, that's not how you should look at it. You already been doing it for free. You over here liking guys and doing all that, right? So it's that immediate response 
she said, it's not like that. Trust me. Like, we're like a family here. It's like a family union. JB ain't going to ever let nobody, nothing happen to you. Everything is regulated. All the prices are set, right? So my grooming process started. And so it seems and it sounds easy. But then it's just normal because I already been sexually abused. A man already made him have oral sex with me. A guy already didn't raped me before, you know, like I've already started. Like honestly, after I started being sexually abused, I was already having sex at 11. I can already, I already had sex with two guys. One was in his, one was an older teenager and the other boy was in his, a teenager too. Like I was already having sex. So it was like, you already having sex with boys, you might as well do it for free. So that's a huge piece because I was already sexually active. She just tied it into like, you might as well get paid for it and nobody ever take advantage of you again. And now you got JB, so. Can't nobody take advantage of you. As you heard in the last episode, Ori was always confronted as if she was the problem. Very few asked her what was wrong. Very few inquired. Which led her to think that very few cared. Ori was in a place where all she needed to hear was the right thing. It didn't matter who was saying it. So now, she's at a trafficker's house, being told that she could make something of herself as a prostitute. She wasn't outright accepting it, but she was seeming to start to listen. So it sounds good at 11. I got protection. I got somewhere to live. I got somewhere that someone's going to feed me. And I got people that's going to love me. It just sounds really stupid. Like, I'm, I guess I'm getting really emotional because I wish that if I was, like, Ori right now, I would have ran in that house and got that little girl up out of there, you know? Like, you are loved beyond measure, and you don't even know that. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is not love. Like, if I could tell kids anything, like, that is not love. Like, it's not love. Like, anybody asking you to give up your body because you're not gaining something from it. You think you're gaining a financial gain when one, it doesn't even go to your hand, but you're not gaining anything from it. You actually losing a lot of yourself. Like, you really... You, every time you lay down, you dying each time. You becoming more numb and numb to something. And so at 11, when this woman, like, it's just making me so angry because I just wish like, I could just be like, what the fuck were you doing? Like, you know, like, get, like, you just, I'm getting mad, you know? While we were recording her story, we took a quick break from the interview. Or we just wanted to collect herself. She told this story probably a hundred times throughout the years. It's her passion to tell her story and to educate. She shares how important it is for survivors to speak to their story. But that never makes it easy. I asked for the audio and camera to be cut, but she asked if we could keep rolling. I was just thinking right now, like, man, if I could just talk to other survivors about, like, and we get out the life, like, even though we don't be with traffickers, we get with these guys, man, that don't love us, you know, like. And it just break my heart because, like, can't nobody ever love you the way that God loves me, you know? Like, I can't even explain that, man. Like, like even as a kid, I was just searching for this love. Like, I just wish that somebody would have just hugged me, you know what I'm saying? Like, just, just, just hug me and just never let me go. And I think about the kids I work with that, we think are the tough ones that are screaming and yelling and man, they just need somebody to hug them and just never let them go. Like, man, like I was in search for love. It was like, 
I'm getting so mad because one thing, even though I had a family, it was like people are like, well, I had, I had a family. You had a family. It was like, what is enough? And it was just like, I wanted people to see what was going on with me to just be like, I love you as you are. You know, like I love you right where you are. And this has happened to you and I'm not going to give up on you. You know what I'm saying? And so in that moment, all I could think about is that being with this woman and this guy, I felt protected. I felt like I was seen. It was the first time, you know, at 11 years old, somebody asked me what happened to me. Was I okay? The first time, you know, I had coaches, I had teachers, I had counselors, and everybody else pointed the finger at me versus like, like, what happened to you? Like, what, what's going on? And so it was the wrong person. It was a trafficker that was was the one that would give me the wrong information and persuade me and just just be cunning, just sneaky and just deceptive. Like, you know, because you think it's gonna be one way. And so that night in that room, you know, he was, she was telling me about this stuff and I'm like, you know, at first I'm defensive, right? But that's like in any conversation, even me as an adult, you get defensive and you're like, okay, I can see your point a little bit. Might as well get paid for it. And it's not, it doesn't take that long. You can make $150 in literally 10 minutes. And so we end up going out there. He was like, um, you know, we're going to take her out there. And so I'm sitting in the back of this car, right? He got a BMW. That's the number one thing with kids, too. Somebody got money. He flashy, you know, and the way she dressed. And I was just like, okay, like, I'm riding a BMW. My mama got an old school Chevy that got paint chipping off of it with hardly any air that we have to keep filling up. So it's a new lifestyle. And so I'm sitting in the back of the car. And he starts, she starts telling me about how much she works and she bought this car. So nobody rides in the front seat but her. This is creating order that she's the bottom, excuse my French, everyone. She's the bottom bitch and that's her position. And so she runs and regulates things, basically. That's what I didn't know on this ride to the track where kids are being sold, bought and sold. Like this was the process of teaching you the rules of the game. And so she started talking about, you don't look at people, you don't look at any other man that's out there, any other pimp. When you talk to dates, you do this, you do this. But I'm like, you know, in the backseat, I'm like, okay, okay, okay. But you like, you know, I'm 11 years old. I'm like, okay, there's a lot of information, you know, but why are you telling me this stuff? And so she, you know, she's just talking it through. And so then um, she got out the car. I watched her get out. We pulled up to a local track. She got out, she got in his car. And then of course how the same way the enemy does is that he create division. So he like, jump in the front seat. So I was like, no, no, no. She said, I can't get in the front seat. Well, I don't know what she talking about. Get, get your butt in the front seat. You can sit in the front seat. So now you feel special. He'll protect me. I'm curious as to what you're picturing. Pimp in a fancy car, clearly being the one in control sweet-talking Ori as if he's a close uncle. I doubt you probably picture him in a purple suit, top hat, cane, fur coat. You know, the Hollywood version of a pimp stereotype that you see depicted on TV or in the movies. Like how people think of a pimp in their head, they, they picture this man with this robe on, with this, this cane, and it's like, no, they really be smooth. Like they really tell you things about yourself that feel good. They really tell you about things that you think is the truth. Pimps come in all forms. So if you're in the ghetto, of course you're gonna get maybe primarily Hispanic and African-American impoverished areas, right? Because those are the more marginalized. If you are in Orange County of California, you're gonna get a Caucasian male that's trafficking. 
I have friends that were with Caucasian traffickers who made a lot of money. You know, I have friends who were with Asian traffickers who made a lot of money. So when you go into different areas, the trafficking looks different. Some of them look like businessmen. Some of them are, you know, we call them CEO pimps, like the ones who may work in the, like, got contracts with the clubs in order to recruit girls like that. Or people, you know, I, I, had, a, I had a trafficker for a brief moment that literally ran a business, like literally ran like a video kind of production thing that knew so many artists, so many rappers and stuff. And so he ran his business, but he still had girls that when, you know, the artists would come in town and stuff, he like, hey, like, you know, I got some women that, and some girls that could come. So it all looks different. It, it's not one particular, it just depends on the economic status, where it is, you know, um, environment, geographically. The traffickers you meet in, you know, Vegas are not gonna be the traffickers that you meet in Utah, but they're there. And even traffickers are women, they're men, all races, all different forms of backgrounds. But the number one thing too, people don't talk about family, familiar trafficking, always happening. You might not have a CEO pimp in Utah, but you might got a mama that's trafficking her kid. You might have a daddy who's selling her kid, you know? You might have an uncle that's molesting the kids and selling them, you know? And so it just looks different. It's all the same thing though. So it's, it's, it's hidden in plain, plain sight. I walked into a store the other day. I was sitting at a restaurant and it was this guy, cleaned up real nice, was with this, this young girl. Immediately I knew. I knew immediately, immediately like, you are not on a date with her for one. You ain't buying sex from her. So what you trying to what you trying to show her in this atmosphere? Cause how she dressed right now, this don't fit the atmosphere. And of course, I was coming from church. So you know, I look like a Coles mama that got on a Coles dress. You know, like I look like a straight mama that day. You know, like some little church lady, I ain't gonna lie. And she's in a high class area like this, dressed like that. Nah, something not right. Ori's insert here is to help us understand how we can catch things in the open. Her normal response in those situations is to tell the server or manager to keep an ear open. Just warn others around the area. To make sure that if there is something that becomes evident, we can all catch it. I want people to understand, the trafficker is not the person that recruits. They send another individual that is already being trafficked to recruit someone. It does not work like that. She's not gonna hear straight from me as a pimp. She's gonna hear from someone who is a young girl or a woman or a male, another boy that can tell you, you know, and that's what I've seen too, even in gangs, how gang traffics young boys and stuff. Like, oh, you could do this for the hood, blah, blah, blah. But then, you know, the older guy that might've went to prison or just certain things is, is using these young boys and making them go out and make money. You know, so it looks differently, but it's all, it's never a majority of the time the traffic don't automatically approach. It happens with more adults sometimes, the guy will, but with kids, no. They send other people that can manipulate them, deceive them, and groom them and, and kind of like, just grow their trust. At the U.S. Institute Against Human Trafficking, we're always being asked to share the exact signs that someone can look for. It's a fair question, but as you heard from Ori, it's not always black and white. Catching the signs of someone being trafficked is the hardest thing to see, but catching signs of someone being groomed is often a lot easier to see. We'll be right back after this break. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably have a passion to end human trafficking. 
But even though you're passionate about it, you're not sure where to begin. Well, we can help you with that. The reality is that human trafficking, and specifically sex trafficking, can only thrive if there's a demand. The demand of buyers purchasing sex or watching pornography that traffickers and pimps produce. After a survey, four out of five buyers shared that they would not purchase sex if they knew that there was a much better chance of being caught or exposed. So how do we help scare buyers away? It takes education. Education around the community to understand how grooming of sex trafficking occurs, learning how men, women, boys, and girls are being purchased, and what signs to look out for to possibly stop this crime from happening. If the entire community, such as individuals, businesses, schools, and churches, were to become better educated around how sex trafficking and sex buying occurs, we could greatly hurt the industry of sex trafficking. The U.S. Institute Against Human Trafficking has a program to help you learn and be aware of how this is occurring in the community. It's called the Trafficking Free Zone. The Trafficking Free Zone is a certification that you receive by watching our free online course that educates you about modern day trafficking and how you can help stop it. You can access this program on our website, usiaht.org slash trafficking free zone. Encourage your business, church, school, community, or maybe just some friends and family to take this free online course and become a certified trafficking free zone member today. Go to usiaht.org slash trafficking free zone. Again, that's usiaht.org slash trafficking free zone. So I got invited to the front seat and he started telling me about the game, you know, like, you see all these hoes out here, like, they all ain't got no instruction. And that's how you get broke. That's how you, you know, that's how you can get beat up. You need to be under instruction, you know? You need protection. They all out here loose and, and like, so it was talking about someone else in order to validate what was good between me and him. You know, I love my hoes, like, I love each and every one of them. You know, I take care of them. I make sure they, they well groom. I ain't gonna never make sure that you not, you don't look good, that you don't smell good, hair, nails done, all this stuff. You ain't gonna never have to worry about that. We building a team together. This is what we're doing. We're building a home together. We're building a family together. My goal is to get us up out of this, this little bitty apartment and get us into a space where, you know, you can have your own room. You know, I'll show you how to drive. I'll teach all this stuff, right? Like, you know, touching me, rubbing my head, doing all these nurturing things. And so when she got to the car, she was really mad. Cause she was like, what the fuck is she doing in my front seat? He like, man, sh like, man, shut your ass up and get your ass in the back seat. So what does that tell me? In that moment, right? Somebody's gonna protect me. Oh, he liked me more, of course, cause you want you wanted somebody to desire. Told her to take me with him and teach me. Like, basically, like, you run a show, right? So get your ass out the car and show her what she need to do. And I remember it was just like this terrified look on her face. Like just terrified because she knew what was getting ready to happen. And so um, I start crying because I'm like, wait, what? You just told me that I'm not going to have to work. 
and she was like, she was like, JB, I don't think we thinking this through, you know, like the, the one time out here, like it's, you know, it's not really, you know, and it was just back and forth conversation. And I was just crying and all I can remember is being in that front seat, like what the did I do? It's my fault, it's my fault, I did this, I got myself here. So you knew in that moment. At this part of the interview, I began to question Ori. I wondered, why didn't you yell, scream, let others know that you're an 11-year-old being told to do this? I wasn't trying to be insensitive. I, I know I would have likely been too scared to do that myself, much less an 11-year-old girl. But it's what a lot of us wonder and think. I'm sure she thinks the same now. But the reality is that it wouldn't have done any good in this situation. I was just like, yeah, like in the moment, I'm 11, this is a man, he got a gun, and like, in that moment, I, you know, I was just crying, like I was crying, I was, I was crying, I was like, I don't want to do that, like, no, no, I don't want to do that. And then he like grabbed me, he snatched me up, he hit me, you know, like, it was just like a like, shut the fuck up, like one of them, pow, like slapped me, like I can't even, you know, and then he like literally just like snatched me up, like grabbed me by my hair, like. And I remember feeling like a kid, like a really small child. Like when he dragged me out the car, it was like, man, get the up, get up. Like, you crying for? You done been through too much in your life to be crying about some like this, like having somebody to talk to you like that. And he was just dragging me, like, you ain't got no at home. Your mama putting locks in the windows. Y'all nobody wants your It's like, you know, you might as well stay here. Like, in hearing that, it was like everything I had told him that night, he used it against me. He flipped it against me. He caught her. He learned everything he needed to know about how to convince her that this is all that she was worth. It was only two minutes ago that Ori felt safe. That's how quickly this turned. And so a part of me is like, I remember like just screaming and being like, and all the girls that were out there didn't even do nothing because they scared. So they immediately put their head down because they don't want to break, be out of pocket, which is like breaking, you know, making eye contact and stuff. And so they can get beat by their pimps if they, take a look at JB or in the situation, you know, like that pimp will get out the car and be like, what you looking at, bitch? Like, turn this around. Mind your business. Like, you know, like, it's, it's ruthless out there like that. And so when he was dragging me, I remember like, he grabbed me, and he grabbed me up and he was just like, all the shit that happened to you, you still want to like, you know, like, this is a better way. Like, I got you. You understand, like, this ain't going to be nothing. This is going to be easy. And a part of you is crazy because a person don't even have to beat you to death to traffic you. It was literally like, I already know how to do this. I know what that's like. I know how to be numb. It sounds very bad. It sounds very vulgar. Like, no, you would be, you would be traumatized. Like, most victims become traumatized. Most people, what we've known historically, stay in situations because it becomes their normal. And I remember her like walking up and I think that was the moment when I said, I know how to do this, was when she said, you better grow the fuck up out here, like get you killed. Like baby, you're not gonna survive out here like this. Like every feeling you had about anything, like I need you to suppress it or you will die. Do you understand? Like when we get in this car with this trick, with this guy, he can kill us. Green like Volkswagen. And this guy, like I could just tell he was just, got off work, like, you know, he had a collar shirt on, like, he was like, hey baby, how are you feeling tonight? Like, and you have to like, be nice and sexy and, and submissive in a way. And like, you can't be strong at all. And that's a huge part of my life. Like, 
it was like you got I got bullied and then my identity is stripped and then now I'm 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 being trafficked and then I like now I have to submit again like lower who I am and my own power like you know what I'm saying in order to give you what you want and so I remember getting there and it was just like I probably turned like 14 dates at night so at 11 I had sex with like yeah 14 men The stigma of how our society seems to portray sex, specifically how society portrays a woman's desire or how a man should treat her, it's wrong. To think that any human being should have any type of power to do this to any other person, let alone a child. You could defend these buyers, these buyers who might say they didn't know her age. If Ori was any other age, would that really make a difference? Trafficking is slavery. Slavery might be started by a trafficker, but the trafficker has no business doing this work without buyers. And it's sick. It was like that night something died in me. Like it was just like, shit, I got myself here. Well, my auntie used to call me fast. Everybody used to call me a fast little girl. Well, hey, they said all I'm going to do, ever be able to do is lay on my back. Might as well get paid for it. And so riding in that car, leaving, the sun coming up, and then you walk into a McDonald's, you know? And I remember just this look of disgust on people's face and nobody said nothing to me. Like, they know what you're doing, you know? They know where you're coming from. And nobody will say nothing. Like, how did you not see this little bitty girl with hardly nothing, anything on? Like, you know, look like I've been up all night for hours. Nothing, like, how did you not say anything? This is hard to hear. It makes me wonder to myself, have I missed this before? I truly believe we'd all do something in this situation, but when you're not looking, when you're not thinking about how this happens in really any community we live in, you're not prone to notice. The reasons we share these stories is to know what is happening. Ori's story is, and I'm sad to say, a common story. Unfortunately, this is very, very normal. Ori was trafficked about 10 to 15 years ago. Most all of it works the same way, but more solicitation is done online now. We hear stories from survivors that were trafficked a decade ago, but we're still trying to catch up on the creativity from buyers and sellers that are happening today. In our next episode, We'll hear how Ori's life went after she was trafficked. To give you some hope, her story does end well. She does find restoration, but it was not an easy road to get there. We'll learn how Ori was able to leave this life and then become an abolitionist in the movement to end human trafficking. How she began educating, mentoring, and speaking to us to provide more awareness so that the next little girl, little boy, man or woman, is not in the same situation of feeling that this is their worth. This is the Trafficking Free America podcast. Until next time.